1: each Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, we broadcast live from Boston to go all around the world of sports for one hour to discuss what happened this weekend and what's ahead for the week. <clears throat> to join the show, the call in number is 1 888 346 9144. You can email me at IIR at Comcast.net, which comes to me through my website at IIR Sports dot Word.com. As always, I will give you my highlights, lowlights, and bizarre news items of the week that I covered. Also, we will be joined next segment by our weekly call-in expert, A.P. Stedham of Bama Magazine. Well, my highlight of the week is Justin Thomas winning the PGA Tournament yesterday down at Quail Hollow in North Carolina. And... He becomes the eighth first-time winner of a major in the last nine tournaments. The only exception, Jordan Spieth winning uh, the British Open just a few weeks back. But it's great to see the young guns really making a name for themselves on the tour, as we saw at the end of the tournament. And before that, uh, over the past year or so, uh, Justin Thomas is very good friends with the crew of Jordan Spieth and Ricky Fowler, who were there to greet him as he came off the final hole and congratulate him on the victory. And uh, he really earned it. He went out and grabbed it, starting with a nice long putt on the ninth hole. Closed out the front nine yesterday. And then the shot that will live forever, which was the 10th green, where his putt hung on the lift for literally 10 seconds, like twice as long as Tiger's famous shot at the 16th at Augusta. So it was just remarkable to watch. Justin Thomas actually walked away. I even had his back turned to the hole when it finally dropped in uh, after, again, about 10 seconds. And uh, so he also had a couple other uh, great shots on the back nine to really – uh, take command and just take the tournament for his own. Uh, the other players were playing okay. There were lots of lead changes. Great back nine, just what you want in a major on a Sunday. Uh, back and forth. Patrick Reed uh, come out of nowhere to suddenly be uh, in the clubhouse and looking in contention. If any, if they all faltered. Ricky Fowler still looking for his first major, but he. Uh, he had a very strong finish, and he was sitting there at I believe five under. Uh, again, in case uh, the field came back to him, so he was in the clubhouse, uh, in in a position uh, to win again if uh, if the leaders started to fall back. And those last couple holes were pretty tricky, so it was very uh, very possible, to say the least. Um, Jordan Spieth, the course was the Big story going in, looking to become the youngest player ever to complete the career Grand Slam. He would have been age 24, same as Tiger, but a few months younger, uh, but didn't happen. He never really got on track throughout the tournament and uh, really was never in contention. So his quest to become the youngest ever to win a career Grand Slam, knowing he now needs to win the PGA next year to do the trick, uh, that's over. He's not going to be the youngest ever. Tiger will retain that, uh, uh, that honor. So uh, we'll have to wait and see uh, You know how it all turns out for Jordan Spieth. Uh, I think he'll get there. Just wasn't going to happen this year. That leads into my bizarre story of the week, which was the ending on Saturday with Jason Day making really bad choices on the 18th hole on Saturday. He was in contention, and he chose to hit his first shot, tee shot into the right, into some trees, had trees right in front of him. Rather than punching it out, he chose to go to his right, uh, where there were trees and lots of other obstacles, stands, bunkers, you name it, bushes, and it was just a a shocking, shocking decision because he was right there. He was on the leaderboard. Uh, In the 18th on Saturday, he, of course, has won his major, so every reason to believe with him uh, in the hunt on Sunday, he had as good a chance as anyone, but instead, he made this impossible shot that left him in basically Another impossible situation uh, where he had to hit out over bushes right up against the stands and he was uh, and led to a snowman, an eight. Uh, So he lost four strokes. He went from four or five under to either one under or even par and basically it was over for him and for a seasoned player, major winner, household name, one of golf's brightest stars. For him to do that was just uh, stunning to witness it really was um, he you know he, he was almost in shock as the announcers were saying because he actually seemed was seen you know smiling laughing what have you uh, apparently looking to be in a good mood which obviously he wasn't leading to the he had to be in shock statement and uh, so yeah it was just... Crazy to watch. It was a reminder of what Jordan Spieth dealt with uh, at the British Open on the 13th hole. Uh, He did not make any uh, such bad decisions. He rescued uh, what he could out of that hole, and then he went on a birdie run, and we know the rest of the story. He won the British Open, starting with his impossible lie on the driving range at the British Open. So, Uh, Really incredible stuff to watch, both of them actually, both Jordan Spee's situation a few weeks back and certainly Jason Day's on Saturday. Well, my low light of the week is Bryce Harper getting an injury in the rain uh, at a game that started at 10 p.m. Eastern time after a three-hour rain delay and the video looked horrible. It looked like it was not only a season ender, but you had to actually wonder if it could be a career ender. It really looked that nasty, that awkward. He basically slipped on the wet base as he crossed the wet base in a very awkward way. His left knee buckled. He hit the ground in complete agony, rolling around, holding his left knee and You just had to assume it was unequivocally ligament damage season over at minimum. And lo and behold, it just turned out to be a bruise, uh, but not a tear. So he will likely, he obviously is not going to play for a while, a few weeks, but there's every reason to believe he'll be back in time for the, uh, you know, for the postseason which is what really matters, especially for a team like the Nationals, who have been there before. They're having a fabulous season. It's getting a little lost uh, behind the Dodgers. Incredible, uh, record-breaking season that they're having. But the Nationals are right there. And right now you could make the case that the Nationals and the uh, Dodgers are probably the two best teams in all of baseball. And Harper, of course, is their heart and soul. He gets down. Basically, their their shot at any postseason uh, championship is over. But now it looks like uh, unequivocally, Bryce Harper uh, will will play in the postseason. He walked to the microphone yes, yesterday or maybe early this morning, uh, and you know talked about it. Not a happy guy. I don't think anybody was too happy. Uh, but it was uh, really a crazy, crazy piece of video to see the awkward position his leg ended up in, but good for him and good for baseball and all the baseball fans that he uh, will likely play again this season. And lastly, my NFL player engagement story that I wrote last week on their website at NFLPlayerEngagementOneWord.com is on Raymond Claiborne being inducted into the Patriots Hall of Fame. He uh, wore number 26 when he played for the Patriots and was the 26th player ever inducted into the Patriots Hall of Fame. So it was a nice synergy and uh, gave a great speech, big crowd. uh, And it's turned into an awesome annual event over at Patriot Place beside Gillette Stadium every August when they induct. They're uh, <clears throat> new Hall of Famers. So now let's take our break. And next up will be our weekly call in expert, AP Studham of Bama Magazine. So don't go anywhere.
2: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
3: Join Matt Fish and Alex Clancy every week for Rebound Radio. We'll talk with the legends of basketball about how they got started, their rise to the top of the game, how basketball has changed their lives, and what they're up to now, just like the game itself you'll find that lives can pivot on a dime. There can be last-minute saves, and life is anything but run-of-the-mill. Rebound Radio can be heard live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. You won't want to miss the next show.
1: The call-in number is one 888 346 or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. And it's that time of the show when our weekly call-in expert, A.P. Stedham of Bama Magazine, joins us. And, A.P., how are you doing today? Oh, doing great, John. Doing great. Glad to be here. Glad to have you, as always. And, as always, the uh, SEC is always in the news for, for better or for worse. And uh, this week it's not so good as the Florida Gators uh, suspended seven, repeat seven, of their players, including a star, one of their stars, for the massive opener against Michigan coming up Labor Day weekend out in uh, down in Texas. So, AP, uh, I know you cover Bama and, of course, the whole SEC uh this is pretty seismic news, to say the least. And Let me just say that apparently they were suspended because they used their student ID to purchase items in the bookstore and then went out and sold them for cash. So that seems to be the story, according to reports. So what are your thoughts, AP? Pretty crazy.
4: Yeah, it is, John, especially at this time of year. You, you work so hard. For uh, your entire career to be in this position, and then you make a monumental mistake that tarnishes your your record off the field and on the field. And I think, John, that when we discussed this a couple years back, the total cost of attendance, they would be given that money. I think with some players, no matter, and I always said this to people, no matter how much you give them, it's never enough. So they're always uh, seeking ways to make more money. You just can never satisfy them. Some were, are happy to get that total cost of attendance, uh, but if you're always trying to send the money home to take care of others or you you have other, other obligations, it, it, the money that a university at this point in time can legally give to a student athlete will never be enough. There's always They're always seeking more.
1: That's true. That's a good way of looking at it. Great perspective, as always. Uh, yeah, it's, again, just uh, reverberations being felt throughout the college football world on this one, again, because, you know, they're playing a very, very high-profile game. I believe we discussed this very game last week on our show. Uh, you know, if, if not for the Florida state alabama game that you'll be attending and covering uh labor day weekend uh this game would even be even more front and center um so by the way i'm looking at a thing suspended for opener for misusing school issued funds whatever that means (laughs) so (laughs) i don't know if i'd say that adds further clarification it's just different verbiage I right, right, right. had seen an hour or two ago, but uh whatever. They're in trouble.
4: <laughs> yeah, yes you are. And John, it not only affects the University of Florida, but that affects the entire conference. Because no those doubt. are one of those one of those games that swings the pendulum. If Michigan uh they played that game with their all their players and Florida had all their players and Michigan wins that game, well, they the SEC would have to overcome that in the uh, voting at the end of the season. Now uh, Michigan lays a whipping on them, uh, even without those seven players. Uh, you don't know in the minds of people how much that game is going to affect filming down the line when they vote for the college football uh, playoffs.
1: That's an excellent point. You know, right now I think it's safe to say that the Big Ten and the SEC are the two top conferences. SEC still number one, but Big Ten's been uh, nipping at their he- heels, shall we say, in the last year or two. And you're absolutely right about that. That's just, uh, you know, th- that's in the thought process, shall we say, which is kind of conference to conference, head to head, and how it looks at the end of the season and whatnot. So, uh yeah again, this is the kind of thing that you know is just going to hang out, hang out there for the rest of the year through through December and into January uh, more than likely. so uh, we shall see I mean let me ask you this just to back up. Uh, Florida, I mean, they're good every year, but we're, what were the uh, the predictions out there for for this year? Were they favored to win the SEC East? Uh, they often are.
4: Yeah, there, there was quite a few people who were projecting Florida because they've won the past couple of years, and so everyone else is suspect, John. Tennessee and Georgia. You know, Butch Jones is trying to get something done over there, and they've kind of faltered late in the season in Georgia. Kirby Smart's in his second year. So I think I, I think I predicted Florida to win that side of the uh, SEC. And then, John, just to bring another point uh, back to the discussion, conversely... Uh, I mean, I heard one of the wide receivers, you know, star wide receiver. I don't know how many other starters were in that group of seven, but, you know, what if Michigan plays at a close game or what if Michigan doesn't win? What does that mean for the Big Ten?
1: Right. Yeah, that's the flip side. Um, yeah, and I think the star receiver's name is Antonio Holloway, if I'm not mistaken.
4: Right. Yeah. Um, oh, good player. Big name. good player, yeah. Yeah, good yeah, Playmaker. Playmaker. Right. Oh, yeah. And Florida, and they're desperately seeking playmakers. They've struggled offensively with Jim McIlwain, an offensive-minded coach.
1: Correct. Correct. Um, now, is Luke Del Rio, Jack Del Rio's son, scheduled to be the starting quarterback this year?
4: Yeah, he's in the mix for it, but um, I'm not sure he's the one they want to end up with at the end of the season. Okay. Yeah, right. they have some younger players that they'd like to see come around.
1: All right, and correct me if I'm wrong. Was it last year that Jeff Driscoll was the starter and playing pretty well, and then something happened with him and his year ended for the Gators? Is that correct?
4: Oh, no, I that was a couple, <clears throat> a couple of years ago. A big, big couple tall, years ago. Co- yeah, big, tall quarterback. I think he ended up at Louisiana Tech. All
1: oh, right, Louisiana I think.
4: Tech.
1: Okay, now correct me if I'm wrong. I think I watched him in a preseason game the other night, uh, and he played great. He had like a tremendous run. Uh, yeah. he, he really looked good. Uh, D r i s k e l, right? Jeff Driscoll. Right, right. Yeah, that's yeah. good for him. That
4: him. I I actually saw him, John, play in an All Star game in St. Petersburg, Florida, and they had the quarterback from Maris, uh with the UCLA Hunley. Was it Hunley? He was from Arizona, yes. I think. And uh, correct driscoll and i forgot the two other quarterbacks uh, at the moment but yeah he was big strong uh, tebow like let's say in his physical ability
3: right yeah right yeah
4: did,
1: he did. uh he, didn't work out he was wrong. making some plays right didn't work out down there that's right hard yeah. to believe that was two years ago uh yeah yeah and uh what was it do you remember the why did he have to leave? Was it
4: I, oh, I forget? Oh, I, you know, I, I think it was just a matter of he wasn't satisfied uh, with his career in Florida. And, okay, uh, went over to Louisiana Tech with uh, uh, Skip Holtz, I think, right?
1: Skip Holtz, former USF coach, if I remember correctly. That's right. That's right. University yeah. of South Florida. Lou Holtz's a son, correct? Yes. 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 Um, yeah, I remember interviewing him at. Uh, American Athletic Conference Media Day uh, a couple of years back. Very likable guy, to say the least, like his father. And uh, mm-hmm. Wow. So any other big news happening in the SEC? Uh, I must say the U-Freeze thing came and went in a hurry. It was big while it lasted, but boy, just radio silence on that front the last couple of weeks.
4: Yeah, I mean, now they're going to have to think about what they're going to do for a full-time coach. I don't know. You know, if they're going to stick with the interim coach or give him a solid chance to earn the position or what they have in mind, you know, but that was devastating to Ole Miss. I mean, it seems like the o- Ole Miss, they, you know, it seems like they, they, they're they going in the right direction and then something catastrophic happens. Yeah, exactly. You know, mm-hmm. program through the year, you know, some type of recruiting violations pop up. that It just buries the program and sets them back years and then this is... I mean, they had a coach who, he, I mean, you beat Alabama twice, you, you win the Sugar Bowl, and next thing you know, everything's upside down.
1: Exactly. Well, this one's going to take a while to recover from. I did hear, I'm sure you heard, you know, Les Miles' name thrown out there. and uh, Right. And then, crazily enough, I just heard, you know, just within the past week, uh, a media type asking Charlie Strong, if he was interested in going to the SEC and the Mississippi job, and he, of course, said all the right things. I mean, he's literally not even coached his first game yet at University (laughs) of South Florida. I just saw him just a couple of weeks ago at the uh, American Athletic Conference Media Days and uh, as USF coach. And, uh, yeah, this is when, like, you, you know, I think it's very premature for the media be asking that question. I don't know what what type of answer you could possibly hope to
4: get to that question, put it that way. Yeah, I mean, what is the man going to say? I mean, he has right. this whole team, this whole South Florida nation, uh, and they have a, a good nucleus. Yeah. They're expecting big things this season. Great and quarterback. What, what, yeah, what does what, what the person expect him to say? Well, I'm on the train to Oxford tomorrow. I mean, it just would be... Yeah a ridiculous move by him and his family and, uh, you know, just to entertain those thoughts so early is, um, I don't know. I I just don't know. Like you said, what are you going to get from that answer? You know, what did you expect from that that question? Right. Well, you're just courting
1: awkwardness. I mean, you know, which is no fun, right? I mean, it was the last question in the interview, so it didn't matter at that point how awkward it got, but... Trust me, it was awkward. It was just yeah. uncomfortable to even hear it asked, let alone answered.
4: Yeah, I just don't know. Some, sometimes, I mean, that's a question if you wanted to pose to him, you might be uh, walking away from the interview and saying, Coach, just want to ask you a quick question. Would there be any interest down the road or something like that? And and that's even an awkward situation, but I don't think it's something you need to pose to him in public on the podium at the American Athletic Conference um, you know, during the media days or any other time. Correct.
1: Well, it was after the media days. It was literally within the past few days. But, yeah. you know, yeah. again, I, I had just seen him at media days a few weeks ago where yeah. he, he was loving it, needless to say, being a new conference yeah. and whatnot, uh, coming out over from Texas. And, you know, there he is in Newport, Rhode Island in mid-July, and <laughs> he sure seemed like a happy guy and engaged in meeting everybody, uh, you know. Yeah. It was cool to watch. Uh, anyway, um, yep, never a dull moment, AP, that's for sure. And uh, no. So you have to be starting to get a little excited uh, three weeks from now, less than three weeks now, to uh, the Florida State-Alabama game at the brand new Mercedes-Benz Dome, which is, the of course, the new home of the Falcons. Uh, you'll be there for the opening, the biggest opening event yet. I think they've had a soft opening or will have, but you'll be there for the one that counts to really, really kick that stadium off.
4: Yeah, John, I mean, college football begins. That's a reason to be excited. Alabama and Florida State, the two powerhouses in the Southeastern Conference and the Atlantic Coast, two of the powerhouses in the Atlantic Coast Conference and Southeastern Conference. Uh, a, a brand new stadium, they were going to be unveiled. You know, I think they're playing the first one on the 26th as an exhibition game. It was supposed to be a soccer game, I think, but it's the Atlanta Falcons, I think, played an exhibition game on the 26th. So, okay. yeah, the, yeah, there's a, I mean, Jimbo Fisher, who was under Nick Saban at LSU. Nick Saban tried to hire him to come to Alabama as offensive coordinator. He, he plotted his course and thought that Bobby Bowden would eventually retire in the coming years. He, he uh, struck gold with that decision. Yeah. So I mean, I think this is one of the best opening games of all time. Yeah. Building it as the greatest of all time, I think somebody said maybe in '87 was at Oklahoma. They opened up with Miami or somebody. I don't know. And you have to look back in the records, but it's been a while, right, since two teams of this caliber started the season, and uh, it's on a neutral site, so it shouldn't be an advantage. Both are about equal distance to Atlanta. So it would be indoors, and the weather will not be a factor. Everyone should be healthy, hopefully. Right. Uh, they have top quality players. Alabama has top quality players. So let's see what happens. And, and this is a game, John, where I think if I'm a college football fan, I want to see a close score, not only because it's exciting and it keeps your attention, but because down the road, those two teams will have a chance. If they went out, the the one who comes up on the short end can possibly meet again, and it will be in the same venue if it's for the it, championship.
1: Good point. I hadn't looked at it that way. That's a very good point. Uh, AP, when exactly is the game? Is it What what day and time?
4: Yeah, it's a Saturday. It
1: should be the, I think it's
4: 8 o'clock Eastern.
1: Okay, so 8 o'clock prime Eastern, time. Yeah, yeah prime time game. Labor Day weekend. Labor Day weekend, right. Wow, yeah. that is going to be awesome um all right way well, p we can't wait and hard to believe uh can't wait any longer either to end the first segment uh it's time for our break uh, which we'll take now and then we'll talk a lot more on the other side
0: follow us on twitter at voice TRN. get the lowdown on guests new shows and your favorites that's voice america trn You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to IIR at Comcast.net. Now, back to the show.
1: Voice America listeners, welcome back to segment three of All Around Sports, and I'm your host, John Inglesby. To join the show... The call-in number is 1-888-346-9144, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. And back on the line with us is our weekly call-in expert, A.P. Stedham of Bama Magazine. And A.P., we talked uh, SEC football in the previous segment, but SEC had some uh, pretty big non-football news over the weekend with yesterday's golf
4: tournament, right? They sure did, they sure did, John. uh, Young Justin Thomas, I think he's 24 years old, won the PGA Open, and he becomes the second Alabama golfer to win the event, uh, dating back to Jerry Pate, 1976.
1: Oh, my. That's unbelievable. Uh, Well, he's been a good player for a couple of years now, and he's already won three tournaments, I believe. I think yesterday was his fourth of the year, so... (laughs) They were saying he might even be golfer of the year, but what I loved about it was, you know, he went out and earned it. I mean, he was the guy making shots uh, at on the back nine on Sunday. What else in a major? What else can you ask? Right? He he earned it for sure.
4: Yeah, that's like any uh, professional sporting event in the crunch time. I mean, fourth quarter in the NBA, fourth quarter in the NFL. You know, ninth inning in baseball and golf. It's the back nine on the fourth day exactly
1: exactly uh of course the shot that will live forever uh is uh uh, putt on the 10th green from about 8 10 feet where he hit it and it hung on the lip for literally literally 10 seconds about twice as long as tigers famous lip hanger on the 16th at augusta a few years back and uh and you know i mean justin thomas was literally like walking around i think he might have actually had his back to the ball when it finally dropped in after about 10 seconds but you know it's nice when you have a signature shot that everybody's going to remember to go along with your major victory right
4: oh absolutely uh, it's it, you know you can recall those moments the day you were watching the tv and the ball just sat on the lip and uh you know he it went in finally and and propelled him to a victory.
1: yes, I mean, I remember where I was exactly when Tiger hit that famous shot. they were talking- they were kidding around with Vern Lundquist, speaking of college football uh, you know because he 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 caught he was on his you know he was on that hole, I believe, but you know Nick Faldo and Jim Nance were both uh instantly. Went right to Verd uh, and talking about the Tiger shot. I mean, obviously, it's the first thing in everybody's mind, for sure. Um, but it was great. And, you know, that shot was, you know, that hole was preceded where he hit a long putt on the ninth hole, closing out the front nine on Sunday. And that's when he began his charge. Then it continued on to the tenth. He then had a long putt, I think, at 13, if I'm not mistaken, Hit a monster tee shot on the par 3, 17th, and drained the putt for a two. And that basically put the tournament away. That gave him at least a three-stroke lead going into the 18th. And uh, and that was that. But, yes, it was great to see, you know, son of a PGA professional, grandson of a PGA professional. His parents were emotional. They were right there. Jordan Spieth and Ricky Fowler, his boys, Right there to greet him and congratulate him coming off the 18th. It was great theater. And correct me if I'm right, If I, it was Justin Thomas who Jordan Spieth, when he holed out from the bunker to win the Travelers, it was against Justin Thomas in the playoff, right?
4: Uh, John, I'm not positive on that. I'm but 99% I would, sure.
1: Yeah, yeah I wouldn't, it was. I wouldn't doubt it. And they've been friends for a long time. Yes, it was. Uh, For sure. Because, uh, you know, we talked when he did it about how, uh, you know, how classy he was when uh, Jordan Spieth did that. There's a lot of ways he could have gone there. You know, know, he was in shock. Everybody was. So, yeah. So, he's had quite a year, um, to put it mildly. So, yeah, again, looks like, uh, you know, he may be the uh, golfer of the year, I guess, with four, um, you know, with four. Excuse me, I stand corrected. It was Daniel Berger who Spieth beat, but what? it, but it was Justin Thomas who actually called, predicted Jordan Spieth's hole out. <laughs> That's what, sorry sorry
4: for the confusion, but I'm glad we got it straight. Yeah, oh, uh, yeah. Anyway. So, uh, it, yeah, it, it was nice to see John, his, his dad, you know, um, a golf pro himself, and to be alive and with him at that event.
1: Exactly, exactly. It was wonderful. Um, so, yeah, it was, uh, you know, a great PGA, and... You know a lot of movement on the leaderboard You had Patrick Reed coming up at the end Ricky Fowler they were both in the clubhouse so if a you know uh, Justin Thomas doesn't like grab the tournament by the throat and win it there's some pretty strong players sitting right back there in case uh, the field started to fall back and given the last three holes which were pretty difficult uh, that was happening a lot uh, So, as we all saw with Jason Day getting an eight on the 18th on Saturday, with some uh, making bad choices, shall we say, to put it mildly. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was uh, it was fun. Hard to believe the majors are over uh, for the year, and uh, you know, up here in New England, we still have the formerly the Deutsche Bank for uh, coming up for Labor Day weekend, but. Uh, name change because Dell acquired EMC, who was heavily involved. So it's now the Dell Technologies Championship for the first time ever, <laughs> ending on Labor Day. The only PGA tournament to end on a Monday. So uh, yeah, uh, the majors may be over, but still some good golf, and of course the FedEx Cup playoffs, of which the Dell tournament is one of the one of the tournaments in that uh, coming up. So. Anyway, AP back to uh, back to the SEC yet again. Uh, Alabama was in the news, but for nothing that they did. It all had to do with uh, uh, Josh Rosen, the quarterback of UCLA, mentioning their name uh, out of the clear blue sky, which I'm guessing didn't go very didn't go over too big down in Tuscaloosa.
4: Yeah, that was addressed down there. Nick Saban he spoke of the. The uh, thoughts of Josh Rosen on on going to college and trying to play uh, Division One football, you know, FBS football, and he brought out the fact that Alabama is one of the top schools for graduating players uh, to compete in the championship game. And I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure Josh Rosen's point uh, exactly because you're granted an opportunity to attend school on scholarship and compete and meet all the right people, but yet you still have to uh, attend to your academic requirements and your obligations. If someone's saying that's easy, um, I'd like to hear it because I've never heard that it's easy. So uh, I don't think you brought up anything new. A matter of fact, Nick Saban said, "There's less practices. You know, you don't have two days and three days as they did years ago. Uh, There's, and in the film sessions, John, with the technology, it's more uh, streamlined. As you know, you don't have to sit there and and go through the entire film. You can pick out plays, and they can uh, encapsulate." certain moments so you know there's not a lot of emphasis on watching unnecessary plays for you to learn about the opponents and yourself so I'm not sure what his point was you know he was trying to make about college athletics and and trying to be a student as well it's always been there I mean high school you know when you start in the high school level you're, you're practicing all the time and you're trying to get your your uh academics taken care of throughout the course of the season. So I don't know what his point was, really.
1: I agree. I agree. It just came out of nowhere. Uh, Nick Saban, to his credit, really took the high road Uh, in his response. He didn't make it about, you know, Josh Rosen or even his comments as much as he just talked about, you know, what goes into being, you know, a student-athlete, period, at the University of Alabama. So, uh, all credit to him. I thought he handled it really beautifully. Um, yeah, so it was just, uh, yeah. you know, I just kind of come out of nowhere. And, and, you know, he just took a shot at Alabama for really no reason. He just kind of it was a throw a throw in line at the end of his overall comments.
4: Yeah, yeah. and then he kind of got into the discussion of, well, if you lower the requirement, uh, or increase the requirements that at Alabama, would they win all the championships. I mean, I don't understand what made him uh, s- say that. Because, right. It, means, it was
1: about the SAT,
4: SATs specifically, y- I believe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's differences in the requirements, but if if Stanford or something, you, you know, I once I once heard Luke Holtz one time, and uh, he had been beaten, I think, by. I don't know, maybe it was Michigan or, or maybe it was USC. Somebody, I can't remember who it was exactly, but it was another school. And then so his, one of the things he brought up was the fact that at Notre Dame, well, we have really high requirements in academics. And I'm thinking, well, why would he mention that? Why would he, you know, is that, is that, some, is that a reason? I mean, you're Notre Dame, you're recruiting, from, it, one of the few schools that recruits 50 states. So, it means that you have, you have your own advantage. Okay, Absolutely. I and do then, remember that. Yeah, and then I remember, so they began the season one year against Northwestern, and they lost. So I'm thinking, now is Lou Holtz going to make that same statement after losing to Northwestern? Is he gonna be speaking about academics? And you, I mean, and you lost to Northwestern? So, you know, when people try to make these, these judgments and comparisons, and try to downgrade someone else to uplift them for their failure. I I cringe at the notion.
1: Exactly, I agree. Um, yeah, uh, and Northwestern, of course, has all of the uh, every bit <laughs> yeah. of stringent requirements to get in. As uh, you know,
4: as, as, as anyone, as anyone.
1: As anyone, uh, including Notre Dame. Uh, Well, AP, hard to believe. Uh, We've gotten to the end of another segment. So why don't we take our final break? Still a few more things to get to on the other side.
2: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Sports and medicine go
0: hand in hand. Quite simply, if you aren't up to your game health-wise, you won't be up to your game on the field. You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to IIR at Comcast.net. Now, back to the show.
1: Voice of America listeners, welcome back to the fourth and final segment of All Around Sports. I'm your host, John Inglesby. And back on the line with us is our weekly call-in expert, A.P. Stedham of Bama Magazine. And before we get started, my pick of the week for appointment viewing is episode two, tomorrow night at 10 o'clock on HBO of Hard Knocks, Tampa Bay Buccaneers in training camp. Week one last week was fantastic. Can't recommend it highly enough. Uh, uh, I've been down to the Bucs earlier this summer. Uh, at their facility, so it was really fun for me to watch a lot of all the footage from literally inside various rooms that I was in uh, back at the beginning of June when I was visiting the Bucks for some stories for the NFL Player Engagement website. And uh, yeah, I mean it was just very well done. The Bucks are the Bucks are hot. AP. They're uh, a lot of chatter. About the Bucks heading into this year, ESPN Today, did a nice segment on Jameis Winston, again, floating around the Bucks facility, interacting with a lot of the employees, non-teammates, what have you, from the kitchen crew to the front office people, and I'll say it again, AP, and you know this better than me. I mean, he, he is quite the compelling personality. He, he knew every single person's name that he was in, you know uh, – in both the, you know, kitchen area as well as the front office area. It was just clear he has relationships with these people. I was very impressed.
4: Yeah, yeah, he's a dynamic personality, outgoing, and he's not shy and retiring, I can tell you that.
1: (laughs) Nope, no way. Um, No way to say the least. Well, speaking of pro football, uh, you're out out in California, and... uh, Sounds like you had a little taste of pro football yourself over the weekend.
4: Yeah, I dropped by the Dallas Cowboys versus the Los Angeles Rams exhibition game. Uh I just went by to see uh, former Alabama safety linebacker Mark Barron. He didn't play that night, but I just spoke with him after the game. And then I touched best, uh, base with a few UConn players. Byron Jones, who was the number one draft choice of the Cowboys, about this is his third season. And then, oh, Dan Orlovsky, still in pro football, I think his 11th year trying to win a roster spot. You know, he needed 96 quarterbacks in the league, John. So uh, he's he's still available.
1: Yep, Byron Jones. uh, I attended his pro day at UConn because he was uh, so highly rated, and uh, you know he was a great interview. He's done well with the Cowboys, worthy of a first round pick. He's had a nice first cup, nice start to his career, and a very likable guy. And uh, yeah, Dan Orlovsky. uh, Yeah, to his credit, he keeps hanging in there. He's been with a few teams, but he's still on. He's still making NFL rosters, and as we well know, you just, you stay, you know, you keep on playing till they don't let you play anymore. That's my attitude. Uh, yeah,
4: that's, yeah, that's it, John. And I tell, if you want to win a bet sometime, you go into somewhere where people are gathering and you say, can you name half the quarterbacks in the NFL, you know, half of the 96, and I'd love to meet somebody who can name half, half, the, half the quarterbacks in the NFL.
1: Oh, exactly. No doubt about it. Uh, by the way, back to college football. There was some interesting news that just come out today, I believe, uh, that Notre Dame and Wisconsin, uh, Was speaking of the NFL connections as well, Notre Dame and Wisconsin will play at Lambeau Field in 2020 and Soldier Field in Chicago in 2021. That's awesome. Yeah, they just made the announcement today. Uh, Two big programs and two famous stadiums. That's pretty cool, I think.
4: Yeah, John, and I don't know if there's a long history between those two. No, I, I don't think there the is. the series, so uh, they're neighboring states, Wisconsin and Indiana, not, you know, fairly close, Big Ten country. Uh, so good for Wisconsin. They are able to land Notre Dame on their schedule. And I think it's really nice that... When you're recruiting for Notre Dame or Wisconsin, you could say, we're going to play in Soldiers Field, and we're going to play in Lambeau Field.
1: Correct. Well, last year, uh, we all remember, I think it was the beginning of last year, uh, where LSU played Wisconsin at Lambeau, and it was just an awesome event, to
4: say the least, to open the season. Yeah, yeah, that's fabulous uh, to play in in Lambeau Field. You heard about it your entire life, and and especially coming up from Louisiana, those folks are thrilled. To attend that game, I know.
1: Yes, exactly. And, uh, yeah, well, hey, it's a trend that I hope we see continuing. Uh, you know, it's always interesting. I mean, on the flip side, I watch, and by the way, I did watch the beginning of the Cowboys game from the Coliseum. Nice,
4: nice crowd there, that's for sure. Yeah, they had some folks there. It was a beautiful evening, low scoring game, and, uh, you know, Dak Prescott, he was just watching and, Uh, so, you know, these exhibition games now, John, if you have your quarterback, there's no sense to really play them. And if you, if you understand that he's the starter, so just let the other people compete and don't risk any injury to your quarterback.
1: Exactly right. And, uh, yeah, there was, uh, and just for variety's sake, I then watched the beginning of the San Diego Chargers, uh, Hosting the Seahawks in Carson City, 10 miles or so from downtown LA. Of course, at the Chargers home for the next couple of years, which is the soccer stadium. So there's about, you know, it seats about 30,000. Nice facility, mm-hmm. but not a big one. No. Uh, but yeah, you know, there seemed to be a lot of energy for, uh, you know, in the crowd and everything. I mean, it was the first time the Chargers the Los Angeles Chargers, that's weird to say, actually played in Los Angeles since, what, 1960, I'm guessing? And uh, they were the Los Angeles Chargers in the AFC, AFL. Right, right. Anyway, it came across very nicely on TV, I will say that. You know, cozy confines, I would call it.
4: Yeah, John, there is a lot of commercials out here between the two teams, you know, who owns Los Angeles, and they're playing an exhibition game here in a week or two, I think. So, And then there, there was a big... They had a little brawl, uh, inter-squad scrimmage. Yep, saw that. Uh, so that that heightened the the uh, competition and, and the rivalry. So yeah, it should be fun to to watch this. And you know they they're going to build that new stadium in Englewood. So that the two teams will of, share. Little, yeah, yeah, a little bit of the Jets Giants on the West Coast.
1: Exactly. Yes, and here they are. You know a couple of weeks into them coexisting in Los Angeles and there's already you know they had the skirmish so there's already signs of a of a budding rivalry and like you just said a couple of years from now they'll both be playing the same stadium so yeah we do have a little giants jets action on the horizon and uh i think it's i think it's great uh but yeah it seems like you know uh the chargers are are being welcomed uh, and, of course, they have the fan base from San Diego that some are, some are going to stick with them for sure. But I think it's great to see. It's, it seems like, you know, they're being well-received in L.A. You would know better than me.
4: Yeah, they are. And it's, it's isn't it funny, John, all these years, a team not in Los Angeles, and so now you have two. Correct.
1: It's amazing. Nothing short of amazing. Yeah, and, it's nice to have options. Yeah, and let's reiterate, you know, uh, 55 or so years ago, the— uh, it was it was indeed the Los Angeles Chargers at the beginning of the AFL for a year or two before they moved down to down the road to San Diego, where they stayed for you know decades to say the least, fifty or so years. So uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be fun to watch, and uh, yeah, sure to be uh, you know an interesting uh, rivalry uh, over the years. So. Now, how about USC? What are they saying about USC out there these days?
4: Yeah, you know, when you have one of the top quarterbacks in the country, John, and Sam Darnold, yep. and you won a Rose Bowl, and you know that USC recruits talented players, and they're on the upswing right now. They're trying to get into that that top echelon of college football, the preseason rating number four or five around there. So everyone's, uh, you know, there's heightened uh, expectations and Clay Helton, he he embraces those, and he's a, he's a, not a very flamboyant personality, but just uh, one of those hardworking football coaches. He's a very likable, very likable individual, and uh, we'll see what happens. But you know, USC they they host Texas, I think, is a second game. Mm. So that's a be big a, one. Yeah, that'd be a big one for them to kind of gauge their um, their ability to play against other. You know, Power Five conference teams, so. and that you know that Pac-12 is wide open. I mean, I think USC probably the you know the favorite, but uh, you know anything could happen. But they're they're in a they're in a good position because they have a nice schedule, and uh, you know they can win that Pac-12 and get get into the playoffs.
1: Yep, coming off that big Rose Bowl victory over Penn State, they're going to be a. Uh... Fun team to watch, and Sam Darnold I'm seeing as the Heisman favorite already. So it's going to be fun. Well, AP, hard to believe we've gotten to the end of our show. Always goes quickly, but I want to thank you, as always, for calling in and great perspective from, uh, from the left coast.
4: Well, thank you, John. It's my pleasure.
1: All right, AP. And as always, thank you all for listening to All Around Sports, and we look forward to doing it all again next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern time.